Well, good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, would you not close John chapter 4? That would be a good thing to do. It would be good to keep that open in front of you as we uh, explore a part of that this morning. I think John chapter 4 perhaps is one of the most um, artistically contrived, if you want to say, uh, pieces of narrative we have in the Gospel of John, perhaps in all of the Gospels, in fact, perhaps even in all of the Bible. It's a, an amazing piece of Scripture. Thanks, Kylie, for reading it so well. Um, we could spend maybe six months on John chapter 4. We've got about 21 minutes on John chapter 4, uh, so we can't make our way through it all, um, but hopefully we can get something out of it. So let's pray to God that God would speak to our hearts this morning, uh, challenge us uh, to be satisfied in Jesus Christ and to be people that know how it is to be embraced by God and so embrace others with the gospel as well. So let me pray to that end uh, that we would hear God speak to us this morning through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word and for the gospel of John. Father, we thank you that you have not stayed silent. The God, you have spoken to us through the Messiah, the Son of God. Father, that by believing in him, we may have life, eternal life. And so, Father, would you Help us to see Jesus this morning. Would you help us to hear Jesus this morning? And Heavenly Father, would we leave here loving Jesus this morning and declaring his glory among the nations because we are so satisfied in him. We pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. I wonder what comes to mind when I say the word satisfaction. If you were to turn to the person next to you, I'm not going to make you do this just yet. If you were to turn to the person next to you and say, I feel most satisfied when, uh, what would you say? Uh, What would you say? Perhaps it's when you eat a Snickers bar, because Snickers really satisfies. Perhaps it's a cold beer on a hot day. Perhaps it's a freshly mown lawn or a weeded garden bed, if you're privileged enough to have such a thing in this part of the world. Um, Maybe even a clean house. Maybe you just feel... I don't know what that feeling is, but I wonder if you have an utterly clean house. You go, I feel satisfied. Satisfaction is something we all long for, isn't it? Feeding our basic appetites of food, of sex, and of pleasure. Others through work, a job well done, the money gained working hard and through our toil. Perhaps it's buying the next thing on the wish list. And then having purchased that thing on the wish list, there's the next thing to purchase. And we seem to find satisfaction... Not really in that. Others look for satisfaction in relationships, uh, in the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the spouse, in your marriage, in the children you have. Maybe it's the grandchildren. Maybe it's in friendships. We find satisfaction in relationships through that. Where do you look for satisfaction? It's different for different people, isn't it, where we find satisfaction? You see, in today's passage, as we had it read, we we meet a woman who's finding it hard to find satisfaction. She's looking for it in particular in relationships. We discover in this passage that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with at the time is actually not her husband. I guess you could say that she's been sleeping around, going from one relationship to the next, but just not able to find satisfaction. She wasn't finding it. She had the same problem that Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones had. I can't get no satisfaction. I'm known for singing in sermons at times. I'm not about to sing in this one. Um, But you can see, she tried, 
though I try, though I try, though I try, though I try, and she's trying again for the sixth time, I can't get no satisfaction. This was the woman's problem. So when she meets Jesus, she is deeply dissatisfied. Here's a woman caught in a rut. Uh, Perhaps it is the drudgery of carting water from her home to the well and back and forth day after day. Perhaps her life mirrors the job that she did, that she just kept going to the well and coming back, and she just never had quite enough because she just had to keep going back for more. Well, Jesus knew her longings. He knew that she needed help. And so Jesus meets this woman at a well. He takes time to talk to her. The Son of Man, God himself, Walking through Samaria takes time to talk to this woman. Have a look with me. Heads down into your Bibles, if you would, at verses 4 to 8. We see this meeting between God and this Samaritan woman. Uh, Verse 4, he had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So you get the picture. This is the scene. Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's worn out. Isn't this a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Last week in the passage, we see that Jesus is the one from above, come down from the Father's side. Here we see Jesus, the one from below, in all his humanity, laid bare, tired, thirsty, hungry from a long journey. And it's in the middle of the day, 12 noon would have been the sixth hour, the heat of the sun bearing down. And he strikes up a conversation with this woman at a well. And it's a simple request, isn't it? Would you give me a drink? The woman is actually quite surprised. Have a look at verse 9 for her response. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's surprised, firstly, that he would talk to her, a Samaritan. They didn't get along. You notice the comment? It's a bit understated, really. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There is some hostility there. We'll get to that a bit later. And secondly, it's, it's even amazing that Jesus would ask her for a drink. According to Jewish law in that culture and time, asking a Samaritan woman for a drink would make him ceremonially unclean. Well, I guess Jesus has got her attention by now. He's crossing over and engaging with the other when he shouldn't be doing anything like this. And she is surprised. She's staggered. And so he throws her a line, and just scratches the surface. Have a look down at verse 10. Uh, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now, Jesus is very good at evangelism, isn't he? At sharing the gospel. I mean, he is the son of God, of course. He is the one who is the good news, and so you think he should be able to tell the good news. And so he starts getting into it. He starts a conversation here, isn't it interesting, with a point of contact with this woman. In order to see her saved, she has a point of contact with him. They're at the well. They're drawing water. That's the connective. He starts a conversation in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was on the train just the other day. And I shared the gospel in three minutes. It's got to be a record for me. Three minutes. Got on the train at Milson's Point. 
arrived at Wynyard and I got to share the gospel with a man from WA. It was wonderful. He was there with his family. They lived 200 kilometres south of Perth. They were here holidaying. I got to share the gospel with him. Do you know what my point of contact was? So good. These little babies. A pair of pretty pink shoes was my point of contact. My wife bought these for our little girl Stella the other day when we were down in Barrel for a wedding. Adele spent too much on these little things from Country Target. Don't you love Country Target? And I said, why did you buy those things? And we've been grappling with it ever since. They don't really fit her feet. They're a bit over the top for me and things like that. And all of a sudden, they've paid dividends because the little girl who was with this guy was wearing exactly the same shoes. I said, oh, my little girl's got shoes like that. Oh, where'd you get them from? Oh, Target and Barrel. I was doing a wedding down there the other day. Oh, you do weddings? Yeah, I'm a minister, so on and so forth. Three minutes later, got to share the gospel with him. It was wonderful. Point of contact. We had a connective. And so Jesus here in this passage talks about not pink shoes, but living water. Notice also that Jesus doesn't say too much. I sometimes find when I share the gospel, I either get an opportunity and just sort of don't say anything or become tongue-tied, or I say so much that by the end of what I've said, the person's no longer interested in what I've got to say, and they're thankful to get off the train. Um, But Jesus is a good model, isn't it? He has a connective, a point of connection, and he says just enough to get her to inquire a little bit more into what he is saying. And so the woman starts to think, living water. What is this living water? How does he have it? How can I get it? Where do I get living water from? Who is this guy anyway? She's really curious. Look at what she says in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is so deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. Imagine that. Never to thirst again, ever. It's interesting, just as a side point here before we move on, the well that's mentioned here, Jacob's well, if you read through the Old Testament, is a point at which many betrothals make happen in the, in the word of God. A man and a woman come together in marriage, a lifelong union. It's interesting that Jesus meets this woman at a well and to engage her in a lifelong relationship with God through the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But note that Jesus here isn't speaking about physical thirst. He's speaking of a satisfying, deep, rich, spiritual, thirst-quenching life. He spells it out in the second half of verse 14. In fact, she said, he says to her, the water I will give, I will give him will come, become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. The woman thinks that sounds pretty good, and so she says in verse 15, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So you see, she wants it, but hasn't quite understood what it is yet. She's still thinking about physical water, physical water you can splash on your face, drink, wash your clothes with. Perhaps she thinks that Jesus is offering her physical water with some kind of magical power attached to it such that she'll never have to kind of get it again. It'll just be there. Well, she's kind of missed the point. And so Jesus now changes tack with her and opens her eyes and causes her to start thinking much more deeply just than the physical. Have a look at what he does in verse 16. He says to her, go call your husband. 
he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Again, Jesus meets someone who he hasn't met before, and he knows everything about them. We've seen this already in John's gospel. He meets people and knows them intimately, right through them, right to the core. Who has that kind of knowledge? Well, only the Lord God has that kind of knowledge. Remember Psalm 139? Let me read to you a bit of Psalm 139, verse 1. Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels, you observe my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You see, God knows us intimately, every detail, every thought, every word, every deed. Now, in the psalm, Psalm 139, that's kind of comforting, isn't it? It's comforting for the psalmist that he's known intimately by God, but it's also quite scary, isn't it, as well, don't you think? Scary in that all the dark secrets that we do, everything we can to lock away in a cupboard and hope that even our nearest and dearest never get access to, God knows it all. He sees it all. Imagine me writing a list. Imagine you writing a list and we stick it up on the screen for everyone to see. I would be running out of the place if you could see the darkness of my life. And yet Jesus sees it all. It's easy to assume, isn't it, that because of our darkness, because of our hopeless fallenness, God will just reject us, walk away. But what we see here in the Lord Jesus Christ is he unpacks this woman's life and sees her dissatisfaction and her life riddled with sin. He doesn't reject her. Even though he knows exactly what she's like, he embraces her. The Lord knows me and yet he loves me still. The Lord knows you and yet he loves you still. And reaches out to us with hope, with forgiveness, as he lays himself down on the cross because he recognizes none of us can make ourselves right with God. Rather than rejecting us, he embraces us at the cross. It's extraordinary generosity. And this is what the woman discovers in the Lord Jesus Christ. She meets Jesus, the Christ, the Lord. He knows her. He doesn't reject her. He has time for her. God has time for the sinner. And when Jesus takes the conversation to this whole new level, see how she responds in verse 19. Have a look at verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Yet prophets were people who had the power from God to speak the very words of God. They could see things that normal people couldn't see, and things that only God would know that were revealed to them. And here's this opportunity. This woman meets a prophet of God. I wonder if you were talking, if you discovered you were talking with a prophet, what would you ask the prophet? Now, a prophet from God who knew all things, who could see right through you, what, what would you ask? Turn to the person next to you. I'll give you 24 seconds for this. Turn to the person next to you. If you met a prophet, what would you ask them? What would you ask the prophet of God? Go, 24 seconds. See what you get. 
Is that, uh, is that too challenging a question with one hour less sleep overnight to kind of, you know, work out? I want to ask you to, I just want you to stop and think. I wonder if you'd ask, I mean, who, I won't show up her hands either, but, you know, would you ask about, you know, can you tell me about my future? What's, what's ahead for me? Can you give me some insight into where things are going? Perhaps you'd like the prophet to sort of unpack your past a little bit, give you a sense of understanding. Perhaps it's the present. Uh, tell me what my life's all about right here, right now. I wonder what it would be. Well, interestingly, this woman in this passage asks Jesus, the prophet, how it is that people from her background, from her race, can connect with the living God. That's what she asks. You see, she was a Samaritan Jew, and her people had different ideas about how they were to connect with God compared to the the other Jews. The Samaritans were kind of like the heretic cousins of the Jews in Jerusalem. There's some history to this. Uh, If you know your Bible relatively well, after King Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel split into the north and the south. Uh, In 722 BC, the northern part of Israel was wiped out by the nation of Assyria, and they were made a vassal state. And as a result, they were then uh, basically forced to intermarry. They intermarried with Persians and other nations around them. The Jews in the south saw the northern ones as inferior, impure, and despised them. As time went on, the northern Jews, who became the the Samaritans, uh, they decided to um, build their own worship site at Mount Gerizim. They built a temple there in about 400 BC, an alternative site of worship. The southern tribe did not like this very much, so 122 BC or thereabouts, they came in and wiped out the temple of Jerusalem. You see the hostility between these guys? They didn't like each other very much. And so this, again, adds the weight, doesn't it, of Jesus meeting with this Samaritan woman and saying, give me some water, crossing so many cultural divides in order to reach this woman and bring her to God. This woman just wanted to know from this prophet, how is it that we can connect with God? Perhaps she'd always felt like she was second rate, a second rate citizen of no value, wanting to know perhaps was our way of worshipping God good enough? Well, Jesus had good news for her on this particular day because knowing and worshipping God was all about to change for the Jews, for the Samaritans, for the world. See what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says a time is coming when the true worshippers of God will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is unbounded. He cannot be contained. Pretty soon everyone will be able to worship God the Father by the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The time and the place will no longer matter. Jesus will become the center of true worship. Remember, it takes us back to the end of chapter 2, where Jesus cleanses the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days' time, I will raise it up again. And that's him. Jesus rises triumphantly from the grave, and worship becomes based on what you think of Jesus, not on where you are whole new era is about to dawn. 
The woman, though, is still a bit confused. Have a look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah, that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So basically, as a Samaritan Jew, she knew that the Messiah was coming and that when he came, he would have it all sorted out. She would understand it. I guess it was her lucky day, wasn't it? See what happens in verse 26? Jesus says, I am he, the one speaking to you. So Jesus is claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. According to the Old Testament, the Christ is the Messiah, or the Messiah is the one who would come and with all of God's authority to rule God's world and establish his right, perfect kingdom. The Messiah was also to be the one who was chosen by God to be the saviour of all people, Jews and Gentiles, to save people from the punishments that their sin deserved. And the one who would bring people from every ethnicity, every social class, every nation in the world back into relationship with their maker, with their God. The woman is utterly stunned by this claim. If you read the rest of the account, she says this amazingly telling question, could this really be the Messiah? Could this really be him? The verses that follow, as Kylie read them, tell us that when she met Jesus, she immediately went to all the people in her village to tell them she'd met the Messiah. She says in verse 39, Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah, she said. Can you tell the longing in her voice? Could this be the one we've waited for? Could this be the one who will bring us all to God? Could this be the one who holds the key to forgiveness? Could this be the one who will give me lasting satisfaction and fill that eternity-shaped longing that's in every one of our hearts? Well, the townspeople, her townspeople, on the basis of her testimony, they go and check it out. They go to meet Jesus. Jesus stays with them. Again, an amazingly culturally bold move. He stays with the Samaritans for two days. And in that time, they too become convinced, many of them, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. They say to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe because of what you have said, for we've heard ourselves and know that this really is the saviour of the world. The living water promised in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, which would flow from the presence of God to the ends of the earth, east, west, north, south, comes now through the Lord Jesus Christ. So all people, Jews, Samaritan, Sydney cider could come to know the living God and feed on his eternal spring forever and never be thirsty. This really is the saviour of the world. Like the woman, they believed in Jesus Christ. They became followers of his. And like the woman, they drank of the living water from the eternal spring of the one who could truly satisfy. So let me finish just by thinking a bit more personally for each one of us today. My question for you is today, are you thirsty? Are you satisfied? Here in Sydney, the lower North Shore, we're in the same boat as the woman out the well. People desperately looking for satisfaction, but never finding anything that lasts. I know of men and women who attend some mental health clinics on the lower North Shore. And many times the 
health clinics report that people are desperately seeking satisfaction in the things of this world. And it's driving them to make all sorts of terrible decisions for their life because they're seeking to find satisfaction in the thing, the stuff that makes up this world. Reality is we live in this massively materialistic world that constantly tells us that all that matters is matter. We're bombarded, I'm told, with over 2,000 pieces of advertising material every day that tell us you need this, you need that, you should be like this. It's any wonder we're confused. Have this car, buy that house, wear those clothes. As if food and material things can provide us with lasting satisfaction. You know it's not true. You know this. You know investing into the things of this world will not bring you lasting treasure, lasting joy. A challenge to us, if we know the gospel, if you and I are here today and you're a Christian and you know the lasting living water that satisfies like nothing else, stop wasting your time pursuing stuff. Pursue God. Drink from him and share that love for the rest of the world that others may come to know the living water. Our satisfaction as human beings goes so much deeper. Deep down we know that there is a God-shaped hole in each one of us that needs to be filled by God himself. God has placed eternity in our hearts that we would seek after him and God has provided a way. He offers living water that quenches our deepest thoughts, our deepest needs. Satisfaction that comes only from being forgiven, being at peace with God and having the hope of eternal life. Life makes sense when you find satisfaction in Jesus. Have you found that satisfaction? How can you have that living water? How can we taste it and drink from it for the rest of our lives, both here and into eternity? The Bible tells us that we can have it simply by asking God to forgive us as we trust in Jesus Christ, to fill us with his spirit. Saying those kinds of things, saying, God, come into my life, I want to drink from you, requires a step of commitment to follow Jesus Christ. It means dying to a life centred on the self and living now for the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we drink the living water that Jesus provides. I'm going to pray a prayer today. You've come here. I mean, John's gospel is written, John 20, verse 30 to 31. John's written all these things down, uh, but there are many more things that Jesus did, but he's written the ones he has written down in his gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and then by believing in him, have life, eternal life in his name. I'm going to pray a prayer that you may want to pray today. You might be here today and you don't know the living water, but you want it. But before we do that, let me close with a story. Now, there was a man who was desperately thirsty, desperately thirsty. He was mustering in the outback, uh, mustering cattle in the outback, and he was a long way from home, and his horse threw him off, uh, and the horse then bolted, and he was left alone in the desert. Thirsty, a long way from home. He then, as he's walking day after day without water, he saw a homestead in the distance, and he walked to that homestead. He clambered his way there, only to find the homestead completely abandoned. No one there. He saw a pump beside the house and he thought, that maybe will be where I can get some water. He went over there, found it dilapidated. But in next to the pump was a small tin and inside that tin was a small amount of water. 
tiny bit of water. And as he went to drink it, he noticed on the inside it said water to prime the pump. He had a choice to make. Did he drink the water that was in the tin and live another day? Or would he make the choice to prime the pump and live a lot longer? He primed the pump. He lived. So the life God has given us is a bit like that can of water. It's here one day and it's potentially gone the next. It's limited. It will run out. We don't know when. But see, God has left us with a note to prime the pump. He's left us with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of forgiveness, of hope, satisfaction. And when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord, we prime the pump and we get the life-giving water that doesn't just see us through this life, but it sees us into the next and with God forever, our Maker, the way we are supposed to be. Are you thirsty? I'm going to pray a prayer. Uh, Many of us here today, I know, have prayed this kind of prayer before and we're drinking from the living water already. But if you want to take on living water today. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to read it briefly now. Then I'm going to, if you want to take on Jesus, you want to drink from his living water today, I'll pray it again slowly and you can embrace it as your own. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, you know how thirsty I am. You know I've looked everywhere for satisfaction but to you. Please forgive me for ignoring you up until now. Forgive me for the wrong things I've done and for hurting others along the way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins on the cross and for giving me new life. Please fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you from now on. Amen. If you want to make that your prayer, why don't you pray that with me right now in the quietness of your heart. If you want to drink from Jesus today and find eternal life, I'll pray it slowly. You can repeat it in your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know how thirsty I am. You know I've looked everywhere for satisfaction but to you. Please forgive me for ignoring you up until now. Forgive me for the wrong things I've done and for hurting others along the way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins on the cross and for giving me new life. Please fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you from now on. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, if you've come to Jesus for the first time and drunk of his living water, you're born again and you have new life and the angels in heaven are having a party. Uh, But you're new, you've just cracked out of the egg, you've just been born again and it's like little hatchlings, they find it hard to walk. So if you have prayed that prayer today and become a Christian, uh, please let someone know, fill in your next steps card that says, I've become a Christian today. Um, And we want to follow you up. We want to help you live for Jesus, love like Jesus for the rest of your life. Um, We're now going to move, sort of slight jolt in things. We're going to move to the Lord's Supper. Um, We've just heard of the living water. We've just drunk deeply of God's word. We've been reminded that we have eternal life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And it's only because of his work that we can have life and have life to the full. If you'd like to take out your sheet, your uh, song sheet, uh, there's some words on there. It's called a prayer of confession. Uh, It's good to be 
reminded of our sin, we pray a prayer of confession in light of the fact that in Christ our sins have been forgiven past, present and future. But it's good for us as we live in this life, as we become less tolerant of our own sin, it's good to confess our sins to, to God. So let's pray this prayer to God together, asking for God's forgiveness in the certainty of his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge with shame the sins we have committed by thought, word and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for all our misdoings. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father, For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life to the honour and glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.